Welcome to Sweet Valley Diaries, where dying in a dream is easier and more likely than apologizing for your many crimes. Super Edition number five, Winter Carnival. Hello, welcome to Sweet Valley Diaries, the podcast that's been on hiatus since almost a time when the world was entirely different than it is now. And uh, I am your host, Marissa Flaxbart, and with me today is a very special guest, Erica Poulos. Hi, Erica. Hi, Marissa. Erica has never been on the podcast before, but you have been referenced on the podcast before. I do. I had a moment of fame. It was exciting. (laughs) Erica is my cousin, and um, that makes you the third and final female cousin of mine to be on the podcast. Thank you for waiting. You're welcome. I'm I'm glad you gave me a super edition. That makes it feel a little little more special. (laughs) Well, it's only appropriate because you, Erica, are one of the people in my life who I feel like I know for sure and even kind of remember that you had read the Sweet Valley Diary, or sorry, that you had read the Sweet Valley High books when you were growing up. Isn't that right? That is correct. I was a a super fan when I was a little tween. Do you remember if you ever read this book? You know, it did seem a little bit familiar. Um, Maybe not even the content so much as the cover. Uh, When you shipped me the book and I saw the cover, it kind of seemed to ring a bell a little bit. I kind of remembered it. So I think I probably did. That's amazing. Well, the super edition um, books are, yeah, listeners, if you are trying to like read along for some reason with the um, Sweet Valley uh, High series as we go through it with the podcast, um, you will already be aware that the super editions kind of throw a loop there because you have to order a physical copy. There are no ebooks as of yet for the super editions, but. I don't know, that adds a little bit, it's kind of fun to read a paper copy, although it's, you're going to hear some like page rustling uh, over the microphone when oh, I, I love it. I, it, this thing is highlighted to, to death right now. So uh, if I ever gave this to a used bookstore and someone picked it up, they might be a little sad or very curious about what I highlighted and why. Why? Like why is the bigger <laughs> question probably. Um, well, if you read this book before, then that would actually make one more time than I have read it, because that's actually one fun thing about the super editions is that back uh, when I was doing the blog version of Sweet Valley Diaries, I read all the way through book 50. And I read um, the super thrillers, but I didn't read the super editions. Um, So the ones that are all about like vacations, usually and like seasons, there seems Mm, to always be like a summer, a spring, a fall, a winter. Um, Although this is the fifth one, and I don't think we've had a fall yet no perfect summer special christmas christmas spring, spring break, break and another summer malibu yeah. summer and now we're back to winter again so no falls but well, there'll be some falls do the coming thrillers up. have deal with halloween maybe they're taking the place i don't think either of the ones that i've read so far deal with halloween but one thing that is i think super interesting about the thrillers is that the contents of them sorry, not just the thrillers, but also all of the super editions is that the contents of them have like no bearing whatsoever on the events of the storyline of the rest of the series. Ooh, I don't know that I ever read any of those then because that doesn't seem familiar. I Well, did, but when you were reading this, the book, so the book itself didn't feel familiar. It was just the cover. Oh, I thought you meant the thrillers. 
Like the thrillers oh. had no bearing. Like, yeah, but I don't think stuff. that these super editions do either. Like yeah, whatever happens not. here, it's like they go back to school and. I mean, I guess there are some exceptions. For example, in the book, the last winter book, the only other winter super edition we've had so far, uh, is the one where Todd Wilkins falls in love with Suzanne Devlin, which is something yeah. that sometimes gets that referenced. That was one of my questions for you. So I have been kind of reliving, you know, from all those years ago, reading these books by listening to your podcast, and that was referenced in this book that Elizabeth hadn't been too upset when Todd fell in love with Suzanne Devlin. And I was slightly horrified. I was like, what did I miss? What, how did I <laughs> skip this? But I haven't listened to all of your special edition podcasts. Oh my gosh. I've only well, listened this- to the series one. So that's where I missed it. That answers that question that I was planning on bringing up because I was like, how, where did this happen? When did this happen? That's doubly funny because my guest on that particular book was my father, uh, your uncle, Uncle huh. Don. As well, I'm going to have to go back and listen to that one. Yeah, it's, now. it's a really special it'll, it'll, one. It's going to clear up that mystery, and I'll get I, to hear your, you I, know, Uncle Don's, you know, awesome witty commentary. <laughs> I feel like my dad is a favorite guest among, like, many listeners uh, to Sweet Valley Diaries, but especially the listeners that are related to me or to him. Yeah. Um, really appreciate yeah. the Don episodes of the podcast, because... Oh, yeah. He, I mean, he's fantastic no matter what. And then you get him reading these books and commenting on them that are made for tween girls. And it's, yeah. just, it's pretty priceless humor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you it's can maybe time. see where I get it from. Well, uh, we have, I like let the perfect segue come and go twice now, but you referenced the cover of this book. So let's talk about the cover of yeah. Winter Carnival. Um, first of all, I want to say about the cover, this never happens in this book. The moment that is depicted, like, I mean, we can get it out of the way right up front. I spent this entire book like, okay, is it going to be the Winter Carnival yet? Is it going to be the Winter Carnival yet? The book's called Winter Carnival. So, is Where's it, that Winter Carnival happening? Yeah. <laughs> A major plot point of the book is that there is, and it's brought up really early, right off the bat, like, there's going to be this winter carnival thing and kids from Sweet Valley go high go and Miss Dalton and Mr. Collins are the chaperones and it's in some place called Mont Blanc mm-hmm. which is a fictional place in California but of course a real place in Switzerland because the uh, Sweet Valley high obsession with Switzerland continues yes yeah I just finished that podcast the leaving home. <laughs> I'm a few behind, but yeah. That was the last time that Switzerland came up, I think. Um, but, you know, Regina Morrow, rest in peace, was uh, there getting her hearing fixed. And then Elizabeth was going to go there for school. And now they have named a fictional ski resort in Cal- Southern California after the Switzerland place. Um, anyway, I'm totally derailing my own thought here. Um, as we kick off the hiatus cobwebs. Um, so we've got two girls standing in front of the mountain, snow-capped mountain, looking just real chipper. Yeah, one of them's just wearing a sweater. Um, that, I'm assuming, is Elizabeth. Looks a little more conservative. She's got a um, ponytail. I've been yeah. told the ponytail is the giveaway. Oh, yeah, because Jessica's totally over ponytails, and her hair is kind of windswept back and looks kind of sexy 
Farrah Fawcett kind yeah. of look going on and she's, pale pink. Now, I gotta say though, I'm a little disappointed she's not, although maybe this is supposed to be that silver. Ski I was, suit. this is just what I was gonna say. There's but it looks a, pink. The silver ski suit comes up multiple times, it's a plot point in mm-hmm. the book. In a few different ways, and yet here on the cover of this book, it definitely looks pink on mine, too. Yeah. It does not that, look that silver. Was, that was a real miss on their part. I mean, I had this whole thing visualized. It was like sparkly, <laughs> shiny silver thing that was just perfect for Jessica's show-off-look-at-me right. character, and now we just get a we get a pink puffer. <laughs> that's what we, we were get. told repeatedly that it was, like, that's why this can't be it, because we were told repeatedly that it was a very shiny, and it was lycra, and it was shiny silver, and it was something that when, like, in the lead-up to the Winter Carnival, the Wakefield parents, or Alice Wakefield was at the mall. She went to the ski shop to try to find um, new ski suits for her daughters because she's the good mom who wants her daughters to have new ski suits. And she only found one that she thought suited Jessica. So she bought the one for Jessica and didn't buy one for Elizabeth. She does offer to, like, take Elizabeth to go get one, but it becomes a problem that is kind of at the crux of this story, which is that Elizabeth is getting sick and tired of being the reliable twin and of all of the ways that, like, her good reliableness are is the thing that she's like stereotyped as and she feels like it's being ta- that's being taken advantage of which of course it mm-hmm. is in every single book always but especially in this book cuz usually the wakefields are a little bit more like the parents are a little bit more like critical of Jessica but in this book they're all like ha 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 that's just Jessica yeah. I mean, I, de- I definitely could go into that. I had a lot of notes about the family dynamics and the kind of um, different levels of expectations they have of their daughters. And I was kind of appalled by their behavior um, in this, you know, just kind of dismissing Elizabeth's kind of, in some ways, justified um, anger and being upset with the things that Jessica was not doing in terms of chores and things around the house. And they're just, oh, Jessica's so cute and funny. It doesn't matter. Um, yeah, in yeah. a lot of ways, this is all business as usual, right? Like, what's happening in the in this book, instead of them going to the Winter Carnival, what's happening chapter after chapter after chapter is that Jessica is doing something that's making Elizabeth mad, or that is, like, the kind of thing that Elizabeth herself constantly shrugs off and is like, well, that's just Jessica being Jessica. And you see Elizabeth's anger build in a very, like, righteous way, but, like, she she is right. The t- I think. I mean, I, call me an Elizabeth. I've said I will agree with you, but she's like, she's such a pushover, and she's like starting to feel like maybe I shouldn't. We shouldn't just let this slide and say, oh, that's just Jessica anymore. And that's interesting, but eh, I mean, what the book does with it is not much. But I guess we could start with the beginning, which yeah. is. I mean, we already talked about the fact that they are going to, this Winter Carnival thing is coming up. Yes, that's coming up. I did think one thing was a little odd, that alumni were coming, because, I mean, it didn't really specify, it gave it a chance, I guess, to pull Stephen, their brother, into the plot, and he kind of factors in a little bit later as a person that shows up and, and yeah. helps out the situation, but... I, I don't know. It's juniors and seniors, and then all of a sudden you've got college kids. That starts got, to get a little, a little shady. Well, how about the um, fact that like former students of Sweet Valley High can just come? 
That's yeah. interesting. Because yeah. so one of the things that is um, a challenge, this book, honestly, it has so much going on. It, it's like, that's why it takes them so long to get to the damn Winter Carnival. Because it's just like the whole <laughs> book is actually about building up the situation that's going to come to a head at the Winter Carnival. In like chapter 18 of 19, something like yeah. that. But Todd Wilkins is coming back to Sweet Valley. Um, he's excited to get away from Vermont, where he lives now for a little while, because it's very cold there, and it's not as cold in Sweet Valley. Why, then, he's going to go up to do winter sports during his time in Sweet Valley, I don't know. But uh, So I was so jazzed for the idea of like a Todd and Jeffrey showdown, because Elizabeth was worried that Jeffrey was going to be jealous of Todd, and Todd has invited her to some kind of banquet to honor his, a little brother, which I don't know how he has that in Sweet Valley, but anyway, Todd has a banquet he's supposed <laughs> to go to. That was another one of my notes. I thought, who are these kids? Where are these underprivileged kids? <laughs> oh, that's I mean, a very good a big, point. A big theme um, has been talking about, you know, dynamics between rich and poor and and the yeah. poor, it's like, how poor really are there? But I mean, I am in Chicago and my husband is a public school teacher for, you know, what you would truly classify as, you know, inner city kids, how that that whole dynamic is. And so it's just like, hmm, I, I'm just very curious about this whole program that exists in Sweet Valley. It was a very yeah. interesting thought. Like, who is Timmy? And yeah. how is Todd still Timmy's big brother from a, the other side of the country? Yeah. And he has invited Elizabeth to go with him to this banquet that's supposed to be on Sunday, but it was moved to Friday, which is the same time as the, like, opening night party for the Winter Carnival, which she told Jeffrey she'd go to. So it's just this, like, jealousy problem that she's worried about. So she doesn't bring it up to Jeffrey. She doesn't want to worry him until she knows for sure that the banquet is important to Todd. I don't know. It's She doesn't do a lot of work to figure that out. I'm jumping ahead now, but at one point in this book, Todd calls to tell Elizabeth, like to talk to Elizabeth about it, and Elizabeth never calls him back. That's right, yeah. The other weird thing that, like, is dropped into the beginning of this book is this trivia contest. Yeah, I mean, it was, I guess, for what you call a little bit of a B plot. Um, but it was one of the factors, it was one of the things that really irked Elizabeth about her sister because she, she and Enid really wanted to um, be on this trivia show. Um, the winner was going to be the first contestant publicized on TV. So they worked really hard on their entry and, of course, Jessica swoops in with her friend Amy and steals some of the answers and it's um, basically a you know, you kind of draw out of a, a hat. So it wasn't based on skill, but they were, Jessica and Amy ended up being the ones chosen instead of Elizabeth. So she's real ticked off about that because Jessica, of course, won that without really caring about it and also used her Elizabeth's answers to. Yeah, she just so. wanted to be the, they wanted to be the first ones on TV. Yeah. Yeah, and Elizabeth and Enid were going to be partners. Yeah, they were excited about it. And so this was on top of Jessica already... Um, I just kind of like not doing her chores. That was the the original original thing is that like she kept on not doing the dishes or like saying that she had plans and she couldn't make dinner because they're supposed to trade that off. Can we talk about that for a second? So I kind of had some notes. So yeah, they the Wakefield family <laughs> has this system with dinner 
where the girls are supposed to trade off nights. You know, they one of them cooks and does the dishes on one night, and then the next night it's the next person's turn. So, you know, there, one of the issues is Jessica takes credit for making dinner, but all she did was heat up a chicken Parmesan dish or something that Elizabeth had spent time over the weekend making and freezing. So my thought was... I mean, it seemed kind of like a lot to expect your 16-year-old daughters who were in high school, you know, one's a cheerleader, one's on the paper, they both are very busy and have mm-hmm. active lives, to cook, like, these full-on meals. Like, it didn't seem like they were just, like, microwaving, like, lean cuisines or something. They are making these big dinners and big salads and stuff, and um, I don't know. Like, well, I understand yeah. pitching in, but that seemed like a lot. Like, the parents just waltz home from work, and they're both working parents, but they just waltz home and expect their girls to take care of all of this and to cook, prepare meals on the weekends. Like, well, and we get the sense... parents have done meals on the weekends for them? We get the know. sense that it's really important, too, because uh, later on, like, also in the first few chapters of this book, Elizabeth's been working really hard. I mean, right from the outset, it also establishes that Elizabeth is, has, she talks about the winter blahs. Like, Elizabeth is a little bit depressed when this book starts. And she's not sure how much of it, Jessica's behavior is the cause, or how much it's the blahs that are the cause. And she's annoyed with Jessica because she's, like, kind of depressed. The book doesn't use the word depressed, but... Um, eventually Jeffrey's like, you know, I know what'll cheer you up. We'll hang out today and then we'll have a nice dinner at Tiberino's, the fancy Italian restaurant. Elizabeth is thrilled to be able to go out and do that with him. But when she gets home, she finds a note from Jessica saying that Jessica went out to, to, or, or, you know, what happens is that Jessica is not back yet from study, from like studying with Amy. Right. And so Elizabeth is distraught because she's like, well, hold on, let me find the passage, because it's, it might take me a second here, but it's pretty interesting. Is it what she's talking about? She can't let her parents down. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, so I'm going to read Jessica's letter, which is on page 39, that she leaves for Elizabeth. Dear Lizzie, promise not to be mad at me, but Amy and I need to practice our trivia if we're going to stand a chance next Tuesday. I'm over at the Sutton's and probably won't have time to make the salad. I swear I'll make dinner every night for the rest of the week if you just do it for me tonight. Don't be mad. Love, Jay. And Elizabeth is so pissed off. She's like, her hands are shaking. And when she calls Jeffrey, and Jeffrey's like, gives her, I think, pretty solid advice, which is, it's Jessica's responsibility to make dinner. She's not there. That's not on you. Let's keep our plans and let your parents be mad at her. Yeah, and feed themselves. Make their own salads. <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Yeah, and, you know, exactly. Parent their children. Discipline the one that screwed up and don't be mad at the one that didn't skip out on her responsibilities and wants to have a date night with her boyfriend. And instead, Elizabeth decides, I mean, she is being quite a... Um, like, what's the word when you are, um, oh, she's being a hero. It's like, don't be a hero, Elizabeth. You're, mm-hmm. and she's, she's really like, you know, taking it upon herself. Um, 
with gladiators, this is there might be a lot of this during this episode. I don't know about the rest of you, and I don't know about you, Erica, but my brain has not really been functioning super well when it comes to like remembering things and like thinking of words during this whole like lockdown global crisis no, situation. I'm with you. That's why I took so many notes and highlighted. <laughs> I'm not going to be able to pull this off. That's, you know. Yeah. Meanwhile, I did like sort of a slapdash job of like dog earring pages and like taking photos of some pages. But um, here's what Elizabeth says when Jeffrey suggests that she just like let Jessica, you know, be hoisted by her own petard. I can't do that. Mom's going to be exhausted when she gets back. She's got this rush project and she's been working really long hours. And Daddy. No, I've got to stick around, Jeffrey. I'm sorry, but we'll just have to do Tiberino's another night. Oh, and in the previous page, she says, There was no telling what time Jessica was going to get back. If she went ahead and got ready to go out with Jeffrey, her parents were going to come home tired and hungry, and no dinner would be ready for them. Elizabeth knew she couldn't do that. And if she called her mother, she'd give Jessica away. Just like, yeah. I, I highlighted that sentence, that sentence alone. If she called her mother, she'd give Jessica away. Exactly. Yes. This is what you need to, you know. And you know what? In this in this passage, Elizabeth is once again also getting mad at Jeffrey for saying mean things about Jessica, which I, I it boils my blood every time she does that. It's like, mm-hmm. if you, you can see what she's doing, but you just can't stand to hear it from anybody else. I hate it. But yeah. There's one other thing, at least one other thing on Elizabeth's mind. I'm changing the subject a little bit here. But it is um, that Elizabeth has entered an essay contest where she's written an yes. essay called Two... What is it called? Two of a Kind? Um, or, double or Nothing. Double or Nothing. That's right. Thank you. And um, she finds out that she got an honorable mention. Which is like, there's first place, second place, third place, and there's some honorable mentions. And she is distraught about this honorable mention. because It's mediocre, is her word. She just cannot see this as a win at all. So Liz is really sad at the dinner table. This is before the scene we just talked about. This is an earlier sadness. But not long before. She says, I guess I'm a little down, that's all. I lost the essay contest I entered. She blurted out, Mr. Collins got the results today. So her parents comfort her. You must really be disappointed. I know how badly you wanted to win. And Mr. Wakefield says, Well, you gave it your best shot. You're really an excellent writer. And if that committee didn't recognize your talents this time, the next year, you sound like Mr. Collins, Elizabeth interrupted glumly. He thinks an honorable mention isn't that bad and that when I'm a senior, I may have a crack at the real prize. You got an honorable mention? But that isn't losing, Mrs. Wakefield broke in. Liz, that's great news. Elizabeth shook her head. An honorable mention is about as bad as you can do, she pointed out. It's worse than third place. So. Yeah. And, you know, a little bit later, um, her dad is like, you can't be so hard on yourself. Like, I, this is on the tail end, though. Um, this is at the same dinner that it's Jessica announces that her cheerleading squad won I don't know, a competition to go to state yeah. or something. So Jessica's got this thing that her parents are really excited for her and like, oh, honey, that's so fantastic. And then she feels like, well, Jessica's got all these good things happening in her life. Right. She won the trivia contest. She's going to state with cheerleading. And I got this, you know, crappy honorable mention. The trivia thing was just like good luck. Like it was just a random drawing. Mm-hmm. So 
Uh, yeah, so Elizabeth is really upset all around. Um, and then things start to get a little bit more out of hand. She starts talking to Jessica about how, like, she she basically, like, has it out with Jessica in a mild way about ha having had to cancel the Tiberino's dinner, right? Mm -hmm. Isn't that, and she's like, and Jessica, I think that's just the part where Jessica says to Elizabeth, you have to forgive me or else I'm going to lose it. Like, she basically demands that. There's a lot of high drama in this book with that. I'm never going to forgive you. You'll never talk to me again. Like, <laughs> it's very, uh. I don't know if that's teenage girl drama or just... <laughs> yeah, but it's like, it, Jessica, instead of saying, like, I'm sorry, I'll change, she goes to, like, you can't be mad at me. Like, don't be mad at me or I'll die. Right. Because <laughs> she can't stand having Elizabeth be mad at her. So Elizabeth goes to Jessica and, like, tells her, listen, you can't do this. You're not considerate. Like, you have to think of someone beside yourself. Like, I need mm -hmm. you to be a little bit more reliable so I can live my life, too. Just because you're the flighty twin doesn't mean that you get to be flighty and I have to always do all the work. And Jessica says, Liz, please don't hate me. Elizabeth laughed. You make me sound like a monster, she said reproachfully. Jess, the point isn't my hating you. I just wanted to clear the air. I feel like you and I need to be equally respectful of each other, which goes for not breaking commitments, not borrowing things without asking. Oh, we forgot to say that Jessica borrowed Elizabeth's sweater without asking. And it's another yes. thing. It's like, I do that all the time. And she's like, well, Jessica, I, if I borrowed something from you, you wouldn't like it. And Jessica's like, I wouldn't care at all, but you never borrow my stuff, you know. Anyway. You're right, Jessica said solemnly. You're absolutely right, Liz. If you don't promise to forgive me right now, I'm going to have a fit. And Elizabeth's like, okay. Yeah. I highlighted some other, do you mind if I read a little passage Please. here? A little bit further down from that as they're still talking, Jessica tells Elizabeth, you're too hard on me, she said self-pityingly, sniffling a little. I can't help it if I'm a little thoughtless once in a while. It's just because you're so perfect, Liz. Everyone is always telling me how I should try to act like you do. Do you think that's easy to live with? Elizabeth rolled her eyes. Please, she said, do you think it's any easier being the one everyone always thinks of as goody two-shoes? So, yeah, yeah, they're kind of just throwing at each other, like, what dry is driving them nuts. <laughs> and the Jessica thing that you read, her line to Elizabeth, that's something that more than one book has been built around, that, yeah. that motivation. There's the one where, the runaway, ultimately, Jessica runs away because she feels like everybody expects her to be as good as Liz, and she's not, so she might as well just leave. The big thing there's a cut no there's cut there's more there's like two more big things like so even after this she's elizabeth is asking jessica to make promises like promise you'll do this for me and jessica's always like god it's like you don't even trust me and then she fucks it up <laughs> yep <laughs> liz is just like please be a little responsible and jessica's like sure where do you see this going? Did like, you follow the good. whole convoluted thing with the Teddy, Mr. Collins' son, Teddy, needed to be picked up from That a... seemed like it was, uh, I don't know, a couple pages too long. I mean, that was, that was really drawn out, weird Unnecessarily scenario. complicated. Yeah, like, well, I'm not really babysitting. I just promised I would pick him up from this birthday party because he's going to be here and so-and-so has the car. It was very weird, but... Let me see if I can do it. I'll see if I can do it. Elizabeth is playing tennis with Jeffrey. 
Jessica has plans to go out on a date with this guy we'll talk about later, David, who is an opponent for the trivia match. She thinks that maybe if she charms him, he'll let them win because that's what you want, right? So um, (laughs) Jessica is at home. Elizabeth calls and says, hey, uh, Teddy Collins is at this other kid's house at a pizza party. That kid's dad is going to call the house sometime around 630 and uh, say that Teddy needs to be picked up. He's going to give you the directions to his house. So I need you to be at the house to answer the phone so that you can get the directions and let me know that Teddy's ready to be picked up. I won't be home until 6.30 because I'm playing tennis with Jeffrey. And Jessica's like, no problem. My date's not coming till 7. But then her date arrives at 6.15 and she's like so flustered that she forgets all about it. And then... When she, I don't know, does she do anything? I don't think she does anything. So, Mr. Well, Mr. she takes the message. Jessica takes the phone call and takes the message, like, right as she's leaving, oh, right as her that's date, right. date shows up. But she's accidentally, she's so flustered that her date showed up early, she puts the note, the message for Elizabeth, with all the details that she carefully took down, yeah. that she promised she would, into her purse and leaves with it. Right. Kind Which, of an honest, dumb, you know, mistake. But, yeah. you know, an honest mistake. She really did take the phone call and get the information. And so um, what happens then is that Elizabeth, when Elizabeth gets home and sees no note and no call, she assumes that the guy hadn't called yet. And eventually it's like she made a fool of herself because the guy, the guy, the father of the friend of Teddy's had to drive him home. And there was like cross paths and it was a whole misunderstanding. And Jessica, even Jessica tried to call the house to figure, to like tell Elizabeth when she realizes that she took the note with her, which happens because she accidentally eats a p- whole piece of wasabi, like a whole ball of wasabi. <laughs> Can we do a quick detour on this like Absolutely, yeah. really horrible double date she ends up on with this guy and his sister and this total weirdo that his sister is with? I highlighted this because it was just so hilarious. So... She's with this guy, David, like you said, and they go to a Japanese restaurant, and she's already concerned because she's never had Japanese food, and she doesn't really care to, and she doesn't know what to do with the raw sushi and the fish, and she, yes, accidentally eats a whole spoonful of wasabi because she doesn't know what it does, but her date's sister's date, whose name is Mitch, there's a little passage about his clothes and he kept, and how weird he was. And she's so, like, just turned off by this guy. Like, who is this weirdo? And he's, it, it says that he kept talking about Hollywood and going into film. And he was wearing the weirdest clothes. An oversized Hawaiian shirt fastened at the throat with a jeweled pin and strangely cut linen pants that made him look emaciated. His glasses were Kelly Green. <laughs> That's just like visualizing this they went into such detail yeah. about this guy and that's all you hear about him that's it that's his one and only appearance it is kind of hard to picture but then jessica makes a comment about his glasses and he dismissively says that he has like 24 pairs of glasses and he switches them with his outfit yeah. but yeah so jessica starts like sneezing and coughing because she's never had japanese food before and no. she doesn't want to try raw fish, which is a pretty fam- relatable stance for a 1980s sixteen-year-old. Yeah. Uh, and she like is coughing and sneezing, and she pulls the note out of her purse as like a when she's looking for Kleenex. But she can't get a hold of Elizabeth because Elizabeth is on the road driving to try to figure out what happened with Teddy. I don't know. This is one of like 
Oh my gosh, so many plot points in this book that would have been solved if cell phones existed. Cell phones, I had that note too. I'm like, this entire book probably wouldn't have been able to occur if there were cell phones. And it gets so much worse than this. But yeah, it's constantly like, I need the car, you have the car, I need a ride, or I need a message. Where are they? Who's trying to go to a landline and call restaurants and find out where people are and stuff. It's it's nuts. I don't know about you, but I was so tense reading this book because, like, a misunderstanding is makes me so stressed out. And there are just constant misunderstandings and miscommunications and people. So, Because one of the next things that happens is that Jeffrey and Elizabeth get into a fight. I'm getting ahead of myself. Did we finish talking about the tennis teddy thing? Yes, we did. So Jessica's in big trouble. Elizabeth yells at her again. Your promise isn't worth anything. And so Jessica is sure she's not going to fuck up anymore. Then Todd calls. But Jessica, oh, Jessica's also like, there must be something really wrong with Elizabeth that's not what she's telling me. Because she can't just be this mad at me about a little misdirection. Things I always do wrong, like borrow her clothes Mm -hmm. or skip out on dinner sometimes. Or, yeah, she's she's kind of sussing out that something Elizabeth's really um, kind of upset or worried about something else and she kind of is because she's got this whole thing with Todd coming and she hasn't told Jeffrey and yeah yeah but like emphasis on kind of because later on in the book when certain things get worked out the book actually says like Elizabeth realized that a lot of her bad mood was actually just about Jessica so now she's another it really was mostly Jessica (laughs) an idiot but 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 there is this sort of thing that she's not telling Jeffrey. She's stressed out about the Todd thing. So when Todd calls, Jessica is like, oh, I see. Todd and Elizabeth had plans, and this is what Elizabeth is worried about. So she rushes over to where Elizabeth and Jeffrey and a bunch of other kids are, and is like, I'm not going to miss telling Elizabeth this message. There's no way I'm going to let another phone message slip through the cracks. And she basically just says, Todd called. Um, he said that you need to call him for your plans about Friday night. No tact. No, like, yeah. thinking, huh, that's maybe not the yeah. best thing to do in front of Elizabeth's boyfriend. Yeah. But, but to her credit, she doesn't know. She doesn't know that Elizabeth didn't tell Jeffrey. And that's, that's a total true. surprise. Jeffrey gets pissed, which is also a big red flag, and Elizabeth is like, I didn't tell you, I know it, maybe I should have mentioned it to you, but it's actually not a big deal, but he's very suspicious of, to- of this Todd fellow, yeah, who he's never met, and the book also spells out, did you notice this, that, like, Jeffrey has never had a girlfriend before? Yes, that is mentioned as a very big factor in why he's feeling a little insecure in his relationship with Liz, because... He has, you know, he came into the Sweet Valley High as an outsider, but hearing all these, you know, people talk about how strong and wonderful a couple Todd and Elizabeth were, and that basically the only reason they're not together is because Todd moved to another state. So he feels a little insecure just because he doesn't have experience. She did. It was, you know, a really solid long-term relationship for her. So he's, I don't know, I have very mixed feelings about this whole plot point of the book because I really um you know I think a lot of people would just rush to the assumption as listed that Jeffrey was being just insanely jealous and irrational but I think you know uh, he had a little bit if you put yourself if you look at it from his perspective and where he's coming from especially a 16 year old kids <laughs> like, yeah. and the fact that she didn't mention anything and that now the carnival's like less than a week or a week away or something and she turns bright red when 
Jessica spills the beans about it because she kind of, he could see in her, you know, and Jeffrey says, I could see in her face that you were, you know, you're, yeah. you're hiding stuff from me. And so. because Elizabeth is mad at Jeffrey for being possessive, which is a red flag for her, and because Jessica is trying to be a helpful sister, she, like, takes Jessica's advice that it's okay if Jeffrey's jealous. Like, boys love that. Like, let him be jealous. And then the next day, there's this picnic at Seca Lake. You guys were, like, halfway through the book. If, in case you haven't noticed, gladiators are picked up on this. This book is very rich with incident. <laughs> there's a lot... <laughs> of disconnected pieces that add up to the end of this book. That's why there was no time to have a winter carnival because they were busy doing all this other shit. Right. It wasn't like nothing happened. It was just none of it was... I, and it's a super edition, so it's a bigger, thicker, fatter book yes, than uh, over 200 of pages of, uh, <laughs> of this back and forth. So Elizabeth tries to play it cool with Jeffrey. I was confused by this whole scene because Elizabeth didn't seem like she was really being that coy but Jeffrey was like I can tell you're hiding something from me because she was being a little bit like aloof and then he flips out and he storms off and Elizabeth is just like well that backfired and Enid's like yeah I told you you shouldn't listen to Jessica but she's she's so pissed off about it that she like she doesn't really try to smooth things over with him she just sulks and he doesn't call her and then they're back at school well, she, she's kind of recapping everything with Enid. And I, I highlighted a lot of stuff in this conversation because, <laughs> to me, Enid, in this, in this scenario here, was giving the very same practical advice that Elizabeth would normally give to people, Ooh, to other characters. Mm-hmm. And Liz is just so just, like, flustered in her head and in her funk and upset about all this other stuff with Jessica. She's just, I think, not really thinking things through as clearly or putting herself in another's shoes and Jeffrey's shoes like she would advise other people to do so I kind of almost felt like this book Ina doesn't show up very often but the few times she does I always really noted like she was just being a really solid like friend with like really good practical thoughtful advice and just kind of things again that Elizabeth I think would normally uh, say yeah. things Elizabeth would normally say it's like, but doctor, I am Elizabeth. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so do, do you want to read anything you highlighted? Um, well, yeah. So she's kind of picked up, like, I don't think Jessica had very good advice. Like, you shouldn't be kind of stringing him along and trying to make him jealous. Like, he's not into game playing. And then she tells Elizabeth, I think you have to be very sensitive. I mean, you're absolutely right as far as the principle of the thing is concerned. In theory, Jeffrey is being over-possessive, but look at it from his point of view. He really needs a lot of reassurance from you now, Liz. So yeah. I think that it just, like, yeah, it was like, put yourself in his shoes. You didn't tell him about this. Now you're kind of not giving him a straight answer whether you have feelings or not or it's over for you. You kind of are, but you're still playing kind of coy and not giving him that reassurance. And he's kind of, that's making him flip out yeah. more. Well, yeah, because it's like her first answer was very serious, like no denying that she had any feelings for Todd. But then, yeah, she's kind of in taking Jessica's advice. It's just like, well, she says the opposite. And anyway, then so she and Jeffrey do make up. But it's clear that Elizabeth just it's a real button like that gets pressed for her whenever Jeffrey is jealous. Like she doesn't like the idea of him trying to manage her friendships and like her choices like he should just trust her so 
they're having this fight, which the fight is, like, largely about the idea of whether or not she's going to spend the Friday of the Winter Carnival going to this a Big Brother's banquet with Todd at, for Timmy, who I saw, I read back in the book a, a few minutes ago, and it said that they had kept in touch with, via letter, Todd and Timmy. <laughs> so it was just a Big ah. Brother pen pal, I guess. Um, or is is she going to go and hang out with Jeffrey like they had planned? Okay. So Elizabeth is crying at this point. She says, Jeffrey, come on. It's not like missing the party on Friday night is going to ruin our whole weekend. I'll drive up Saturday morning and we'll still have the rest of the weekend together. Great, Jeffrey said moodily, slumping in his chair. And I suppose Todd will just happen to not have a date for the snowball. So he'll have to spend the whole night dancing with you. Elizabeth's face was flushed with anger. You're being impossible, she snapped. For goodness sake, Jeffrey, you're acting like a three-year-old. Can't you stop being selfish and jealous for just a second and realize that going to the awards banquet is completely reasonable? It isn't reasonable, Jeffrey said furiously. You're my girlfriend, right? Not Todd's. You and I had plans for Friday night, and now you're trying to break them. That isn't reasonable. Elizabeth jumped up from the table, so furious she was shaking. If you're going to act like this, I'm glad I'm going to the awards banquet with Todd instead of that stupid party with you. I'm glad too, Jeffrey said loudly, as angry as she was. Why don't you just spend the whole weekend with Todd if you feel that way about him? Maybe I will, Elizabeth sputtered, tears running down her cheeks. He's a lot better company than you are. I can tell you that much. As soon as those words were out of her mouth, she regretted them. She was far too angry to apologize. Spinning on her heel, she ran from the patio. So they had a big fight. And I mean... Yeah. It's very, it's very irrational on both sides. It's very heated and, or rational on both sides, depending on how you look yeah. at it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's just very much not um, kind of stopping to consider the other's feelings yeah. and just, right. yeah. Um, I mean, you know me, I would just assume, like when she says, maybe I will spend the whole weekend with Todd. You're I'm like, yes! Yes! This relationship isn't worth salvaging, <laughs> Elizabeth Jeffrey sucks. Let him have a second girlfriend, and then maybe if he grows up a little bit, you guys get back together. But, um... Well, I do want to point out, because actually, that's funny you just said that, because I had noted in their fight after he finds out about Todd, when Jessica spills the beans, he says, maybe I am jealous. Come on, Liz, look at it from my point of view. Everyone always talks about what a great thing you and Todd had together. You two went out for ages. Can't you see why that would make me feel uncomfortable? Of course I feel insecure. I noted that as actually remarkably vulnerable um, for immature kind Mm -hmm. of in a sense for a 16 year old boy to kind of admit that he was feeling insecure and a little, you know, upset about the situation and try to explain why. Um, So I don't know. I'm not, I I don't really have any partial feelings towards Todd or Jeffrey. I never was really, you know, engaged with one or the other, uh, you know, in that fight. But I did kind of think that was notable for a 16-year-old boy to come out and be like, hey, I'm feeling insecure, you know. Yeah, it's very self-aware. Like, he doesn't have a Todd of his own to, like, rub in Elizabeth's face or make Elizabeth jealous. Not that rubbing in one's face is, is good, but... I'm going to counter now with a a less mature thing that Jeffrey does that really puts Elizabeth in a corner, which is that he slips a note into her locker saying, I'm going, I'm going out to this canyon or something to think about everything that's happened. If you don't meet me there at this time, I am going to assume the worst 
So it's basically like, yeah. prove your love to me by showing up at this yeah. time. I don't care place. what other commitments you may have for the Oracle or your family or anything. Like, you've got to figure out a way to get here by then. And she follows, she's into it. She, this is, of course, leads into another big showdown with Jessica, um, screwing her over because she's like, I got to have the car. I got to get out there. I realize I do really love him and I've got to make this right. But yeah, this was another very high drama. I'll never talk to you again. <laughs> yeah. And another big, um, this is coming up as another big, like, if only there were cell phones yes. scene because she could, like, Elizabeth can't text Jessica. Jessica can't text Elizabeth. Elizabeth can't call Jeffrey because yep. they're not in their He's home. He's leaning on the and, side of the and highway. God knows. Watching for, like, the uh, red fiat. Yes. And, <laughs> <laughs> and God knows they try, right? Like, there's a lot of phone yeah. calls made in this book to the place where you hope. Yeah. They get the out there, but your, your Which, yellow boy, book that pages isn't a glimpse. And you're yeah. looking up the numbers. Right. Like, like, parents of, like, modern tweens, like, hand them this book if you want them to get a glimpse of what it was like to not have cell phones. Because I think about it all the time. Like, what yeah. did I do? Like, how did we, how did we meet right. up at a time and a place? I can remember being at the pay phones at, at my middle school, like trying to get a hold of somebody to pick me up to give me a ride home from theater practice, like, and nobody's answering or like, I don't have a quarter. And it was like, yeah. oh, it was a big, maybe that's why this stresses me out so I much. Because I remember yeah, how it was, hard it, it was. It was a completely different, uh, different time of like, just trying to, where you did kind of have to not pull the kind of behavior that Jessica's pulling in order to be a good friend or a good family member because people had to be a little bit more responsible. You had to communicate more yeah. about, yeah, where you were going to be, when, et cetera, and you had to show up. So Right. And that's Elizabeth's point to Jessica, right? She's just like, I need you to be at least a little bit reliable or I, I yeah. just don't know what I'm going to do. Like, if I can't count on you, then I what are right. we even doing here? <laughs> like, um, but speaking of Jessica... Somehow, Jessica and Amy managed to um, win the trivia I also, I kind of thought this was this was really interesting because, yeah, she tries to bamboozle this, this guy that she's dating on the opposing team and say, oh, you really just want to let me win, don't you? And he's like, um, no, I don't, to which she thinks he's a jerk, which is hilarious. She's like, he won't bend to my will, so he's a jerk. Um but yeah, they end up actually winning, and there are several scenes in here where she's late for dinner or whatever because she and Amy are, I guess, legit studying, and they're at the library, and they pull it off. I don't know how you study trivia. Really. How do you study so trivia? Thought, you know, is, Elizabeth, or is Jessica much kind of more book smart than she ever lets on? Like, she can do it. She just wants, she's just kind of lazy, and she would rather cheerlead her party yeah, maybe. than study, maybe. but she's seems like a smart enough cookie. I mean, she won over these guys who she herself said were really super smart and very competitive and motivated. Um, yeah. Elizabeth had expected her to be home at a certain time so that she could have the car and, like, made her promise. And this is another one of those instances of, like, you keep breaking promises. You have to promise. And Jessica's like, oh, God, come on. Will you get over it already? But yet again, you know, she forgets. She just forgets about her promises. And she goes, understandably, she goes to the celebratory pizza party. It was like she shouldn't have agreed to do this for Liz in the first place. She should have said, this is too tight. Drop me off my, like, drive me to the trivia thing. Or, like, find somebody else, like, find another way to get there 
now, like rather than, you know, she, she made a promise that was on, that was like not a good promise to make because, you know, you don't have that much control over your, your time. But so, so they go off blithely to a pizza place and Elizabeth knows that, that, that happened because Elizabeth calls, like she looks up, like you were talking about the yellow pages. She looks up where the trivia contest is being held and like the phone number for the studio. And the woman there tells her that they all went out for dinner. And Elizabeth's like, where do they go? And of course this woman has no idea. So she's like sitting there in the dark waiting for Jessica to come home. Like all. (laughs) Ominous. Pitch black on the couch. Jessica turns on the light. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I and she's just like seething. She's basically like, I have no sister. Oh, oh, and the one other thing is that uh in Jessica trying to fix things um before before the whole uh winter carnival starts, is that she has also told Todd, like insinuated to Todd that he needs to cancel he needs to tell just Elizabeth not to come to the yes. dinner anymore. So, oh, and Elizabeth doesn't tell, like, she doesn't call Jeffrey and explain what happened because she's just misses her window and then she feels awkward yeah, about it. Yeah, yeah, that was, I felt like that wasn't, in most books, wouldn't really be a normal Elizabeth mood. It was just kind of, or move. It was just more like because her mood has been kind of, depressed a little bit and just caught up with all this Jessica stuff and everything. Like, I think she just kind of, I don't know. She just almost didn't have the fight in her or the, the will in her to try to, I don't know, explain anymore. She just kind of retreated. And I have a passage here about this actually that I marked. So I might as well read about it. I mean, read it. By now, Elizabeth felt she'd been a prize idiot not to explain what had happened with the car on Tuesday as soon as it happened. She could have called Jeffrey that night and explained everything. Instead, she had been embarrassed and upset and had let day after day drag by. Now she felt too stupid to go up to him and try to make sense out of everything. He would naturally wonder why she hadn't approached him earlier, and she had no excuse. Except she did have an excuse. Her excuse was that she was angry. Yeah, yeah. And embarrassed. And also, what the hell? Like, maybe she just didn't read your note. Like, it fell out of the locker. That's happened in one of these books before. Someone has left a note for someone in the locker that it got stolen or gets lost and doesn't get seen and a a meeting doesn't happen. Because Elizabeth is really sad when when Todd is like, you don't have to come with me. She's like, well, I'll come if you want me to. And he's like, nah. (laughs) So now she's like, she's ruined her relationship and she doesn't, it was for no reason. She feels like shit. But Jessica's determined well, to fix it, isn't she? I highlighted she? a really funny, really funny short quote from this because when Jessica has this like light bulb of "I'm going to jump in, I'm really going to try to fix it, and I'm going to tell Todd you need to release Elizabeth of this obligation. It's causing problems between her and Joffrey, and just tell her you don't want her to come, and all will be well." And so she's recapping this plan to her friend Kara Walker, and <laughs> Kara says, "Uh oh." If I know you, Jess, the cure can be worse than the disease. What exactly are you planning to do? I just, I just cracked up. I thought that was really funny. The cure can be worse than the disease. Like, Jessica gets involved. You never know. Obviously, most things, it, situations just implode. They don't get better. <laughs> they get ten times worse. Yeah. 
And she really, she she's very proud of herself for the plan that she concocts. But boy, does she come up with the most convoluted way of solving a problem that could be yes. so easily solved. Oh my gosh. Let's go into the solution before we talk about, like, Jessica's solution before we talk about the easy way that this problem <laughs> okay. could have been solved. The first thing she does is she writes a note, yes. right, to Jessica? Yes, she, she tries to copy Elizabeth's penmanship and write this little note, which of course is written in more her style and in retrospect later on Jeffrey realizes Elizabeth never would have had that tone but she still tries to basically you know say hey I screwed up I'm really sorry let's meet in the lobby of this big hotel they're staying at for the winter carnival and you know make up yeah Dear Jeffrey, I'm so sorry about the way I acted this week. Am I too late, or would you be willing to spend the evening with me tonight after all? I've realized I was a complete idiot. You were right. The carnival is a million times more important than any dumb banquet with Todd. Please forgive me. Let's meet at the ski lodge tonight at 6.30. We can straighten things out then. Love, Liz. And somehow, Jeffrey believes that this is a note from Liz. So it's really important that Jessica tell Liz that she planted this note so that Liz will go meet him. And she's like, oh, Liz might be mad, but she'll get it. Like, I'm, I'm trying to do her a favor, whatever. Yeah. But then she's like, try, they're, they're trying to take a bus. Everybody's on a bus together up to the ski lodge. And it's Amy Sutton's fault this time. Oh, actually. my gosh. I, I had just in, like, all caps, Amy Sutton is a hot mess. Like, this girl... <laughs> Holy, she, like, has to run a thousand errands, and then she can't find her contacts, and yeah. then she forgets her allergy milk meds. Jessica starts like, saying at, like, three o'clock or something, like, hours before that they have to be there. Like, Amy, you better hurry up. Like, we're running out of time. Like, you're taking too long at the store. You're taking too long getting ready. And it gets to a point where Jessica is rushing her so much that Amy is freaking out, and she can't find things anymore. She's, like, so nervous by Jessica's hurrying or rushing her that she's like, I can't find my contacts. I can't find my hairbrush. I would have, I was like beside myself reading this. I was like, I would have punched this girl in the face. I could not be friends with somebody this like, she's just like, that, 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 like no concept yeah. of anything completely disorganized, like doesn't know yeah. where anything is, forgets everything. It was just, yeah, hot mess. <laughs> <laughs> Jessica even says, Amy, you know what? You drive yourself up to the, pl- to the lodge in my car. I'll go catch the bus. And Amy's like, I don't know how to drive a stick. I'll die on the way. And so they try to make the bus, but they don't. Jessica calls Sandra Bacon to have her try to explain why Jessica's not on the bus. But they think maybe they'll make it to the lodge first, but they don't make it to the lodge. It's clear that they're not going to beat the bus to the lodge because they have they make wrong turns. Of course they do. It's Jessica and Amy. Yeah. And they hit all the red lights. And so they concoct a second part of the plan. Uh, yeah, Jessica slips into her famous, like, well, I'll just pretend to be Elizabeth mode. And I'll meet yes. Jeffrey myself because I didn't have time to tell her what's going on. <laughs> I think it's Amy's idea. Like, she said in the in the note, meet me at 6.30. So she's got to be there. They're going to get to the lodge right at 6.30 and Jessica can rush over to meet, to meet Jeffrey. Yep. And she's like, I don't really look like Elizabeth right now, but I'll just have to yeah, rely on my acting like, white skills. leather boots. <laughs> like, aren't you in the mountains with snow? Are you leather? Maybe that's not the best choice. And but, oh my gosh, yeah. she she realizes the error of her of her decision really quickly because of course she's trying to make up with Jeffrey, and Jeffrey is like putting his hands on her shoulders and like trying to like t- like pull her towards him in like the way that you know he's trying to like be romantic with her as 
soon as they make up. And Jessica's like, I gotta go. Like, I'm sorry. I'll meet you later. Well, it's so awkward. I know. And of course, one of the, like, not our usual gossips of, like, what's her name? Caroline, Caroline or Lila Pierce. or anybody. It's somebody we Lila wasn't in this book. No, she wasn't at all, actually. But, like, somebody we've never heard of, or I've never heard of, it's a senior, but somebody who's known as Big Gossip walks yeah, by. Yeah, I've never heard of her either. Her name is Chrissy. Yeah, walks Chrissy. by and sees them. And no Jessica's one. super nervous because she's like, oh, she's such a gossip. Oh my gosh, this is not good. She'll realize it's, that it's me and not Liz because of my outfit. And of course, that's what ends up happening. <laughs> exactly what happens. Yep. Um, because what happens is that Chrissy just sees, like, she sees who she thinks is Elizabeth, but then a few minutes later, she ducks her head into the room where Elizabeth is staying, conveniently, and is like, does anybody have any mascara I can borrow? Which, first of all, what? Gross. No, don't share, well, especially in these times, don't share anything. But who shares eye makeup? That's always been a big no-no. Don't share eye makeup. No. That's, that's, yeah. I don't think that's good. So... She sees Elizabeth and is like, oh my gosh, how'd you get back here so fast? I just saw you in the lodge with Jeffrey, but you were wearing different clothes. And Elizabeth is like, Jessica is stealing my boyfriend now. Like, she, like, she just that's goes why. to the next level. She's like, this, yeah. this girl, this my twin is ruining my life in all these ways. I can't stand her. Now she's stealing my boyfriend. Like, my and she, yeah. very recently ex-boyfriend. <laughs> They haven't even actually broken up. No, it's just like they just haven't talked. And she, she feels like she's on top of it. She's putting the pieces together. Jessica was totally trying to to screw things up on purpose between me and Jeffrey because she wanted a piece of Jeffrey for herself. And I can't believe she would do this to me. But like, why not? Because she, she obviously doesn't care about me at all. And I wish that she'd never been born. And meanwhile, I, I did reference the um, the simple, like obvious solution to this problem. For Jessica, which would have been um, to just go up to Jeffrey as Jessica and say, Hi, Jeffrey. You should talk to Elizabeth. <laughs> or, that would have been great. That would have, that would have, uh, Dean necessitated the whole note. But since she wasn't able to tell Liz about the note, she could have gone to the lodge and been like, Hi, I wrote that note. Then I didn't get a chance to tell Liz about it. But look, this is all my fault. Because that's what she wants to say, right? Yeah. She wants to say... Uh, that even even when she's pretending to be her sister, she like blames herself for the car thing and the misunderstanding and yeah, yeah, yeah. So we just as, we make it like no sooner do we make it to the winter carnival, the titular <laughs> winter carnival. Yeah, we book it from the winter carnival. Elizabeth Aww. is like, I'm getting the hell out of here. I cannot stand to, to be here this weekend while Jessica makes a fool of me with my ex-boyfriend. That's where her head goes immediately. Ken, she convinces Ken Matthews to give her a ride to the bus stop. And he wants to stay until the bus comes. She's like, no, get out of here. So she's like in the cold in the mountains, staying at this bus stop. And the snowstorm's coming. And, you know, she's, she's just, all she wants to do is be home because she's so miserable with life. And then the bus comes, and Stephen, her brother, and Kara get off the bus because apparently Stephen's car broke down or something. They ended up having to take a bus to get up there. So they're like, Liz, what's going on? And she's like, because Kara has some slight knowledge of what's going on, right? She kind of knows yeah. what Jessica's been up to. So she's like, please tell me what's happening. Please tell me what's happening. 
and Liz doesn't want to talk about it. She's just like, no, nope, yeah. Guys, she go. really tries to get Liz to stay and tell yeah. her about it because I think Kara has a, has a suspicion that if she could hear Liz's side of things, like the the fan. she's like, oh yeah. yeah, that like cure for this disease. Nope, <laughs> just like poison, <laughs> uh, just like I suspected. So, so all of these like you know fail safes. Are, are not working to prevent Elizabeth from leaving. I don't know about you as a reader, Erica, but me, I was just, I kept on, you know, you know that everything's got to get resolved. So it's like, okay, so is she really going to get on the bus? And then she gets on the bus and there's, she's the only passenger. So it's like, okay, maybe, maybe um, the bus is going to turn around at some point, but it doesn't. It takes her all the way home. Mm-hmm. The The bus driver gives her some sage wisdom about how, Yum. Your sister is your sister. Yep. Sisters can be hard to deal with, but, you know, yeah. it's it's blood and, you know, um, yeah. And then she takes a taxi She's, home to the house. Yeah. Her parents aren't home. They're at a party because, of course, they think the girls are gone for the weekend. Yeah. She's all by so, herself. She's really fuming, and she's been thinking on the bus about how she wouldn't be sad if she didn't have a sister. Like, she would be better off if she didn't have a sister at all. And so when Jessica calls and is like, oh my gosh, Lizzie, when I heard you left, I was so upset. Like, what's going on? Like, and she tries to explain what happened with Jeffrey. Elizabeth is just like, I don't even want to hear it. Like, she's already convinced herself that there's no way she's going to fall for Jessica's lies one more time. Yeah. And she shuts it down, and she hangs up the phone saying... Um, I wish I never had a sister. Yeah. And yeah. then she goes to sleep. <laughs> and then, oh my God, Erica. And then we have da 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 plot twist, soap opera, total detour. Yeah, because the phone rings again and Elizabeth answers it and there's been a car accident. And that is so well within the scope of the series that I'm like, okay, that's dramatic. Like, great. So now Elizabeth is going to forgive Jessica for everything she's done just because Jessica went and got herself in a car mm-hmm. accident. But there I'm was also, a snowstorm, so it's very believable yeah. that that would have happened. Yeah, and it's a stick. It's a fiat. You know, mm-hmm. there's all sorts of reasons. Yeah, Jessica's crazy. She's impulsive and crazy. Yeah. Probably not a good driver, let's face it. Right. <laughs> Especially not when she's crazed. And I'm so I'm following along, but also thinking, oh, this is weird because this book, Winter Carnival, um, falls... Uh, it doesn't fall after book 40. Like, I tend to save these super editions for, like, during the hiatus time. So I just read, like, the next one that we've got. So so this happened several books ago. I've read a bunch of the books that fall after this. And I'm like, well, I don't remember Jessica being, like, horribly injured or, like, having any scars. But it sounds like this was a really bad accident. And then she gets to the hospital. And um, I'm going to go ahead and read this. But... uh. Gladiators, just like gird your loins, okay? Because it's it's gonna be rough, okay? But just remember, just remember, think about what you know about this about the book series, okay? She gets this phone call that she needs to rush to the hospital. She goes out of the house, and Todd is somehow there, which is weird. She thought Todd would be at the banquet. Todd takes her to the hospital, and she finds out that her parents are already at the hospital, which is also weird. How do they even know about this? And then. Dr. Davis comes out, the twins' pediatrician, and um, it says, He looked much younger than Elizabeth remembered, and he was wearing strange, slightly magnifying eyeglasses, but Elizabeth barely noticed. Dr. Davis, cried Elizabeth, jumping up and throwing her arms around him. Where's Jess? Is she okay? Dr. Davis patted her back gently. 
You're going to have to be very brave, Elizabeth, he said. I want you to remember that you're going to have to be brave for your parents' sake especially. Remember, hard as it's going to be for you, it's going to be even harder for them. Elizabeth felt as though the floor were sliding out from under her. She's fainted, she heard Todd say, from what seemed to be about a mile away. She could feel the hard floor beneath her and smelled something sharp and terrible, like ammonia. She's coming too, Dr. Davis was saying. His face swam before her, large and concerned, and Elizabeth sat up with an effort to discover she was lying on a cot in a curtained-off part of the emergency room. Is she really dead? she whispered. Dr. Davis picked up her hand and squeezed it tightly. I'm sorry, Liz, he said gently. So this book, with very little fanfare, is purporting that Jessica Wakefield is dead. Um, so how did you feel, Erica, when you got to that part of the book? Um, this may be a glimmer that I had read this before, like way, way back in the day, because I kind of picked up a, really on the first page when Todd showed up in his Camaro and picked her up. And then they got to that. Oh, I was like, I don't think this is right. I was like, I think she's dreaming <laughs> because this, this is. This seem like weird coincidences here. Like I know this, the show could yeah. go there. Like in our the show that the book series could go there because it's like it's a soap right, opera that we watch. Right, it definitely went eyes. in that weird direction. But I just kind of got this weird feeling like things don't seem quite right. They seem very dreamlike. Yeah. Well, you're doing better than I am because I didn't pick up on it until this passage that I just mm. read, and then I was just like, oh. Well, I don't think the books would have Jessica and all of these people wouldn't be in on faking Jessica's death. So she must be dreaming. But then you keep reading and it just goes on and oh. on. She goes to sleep. She this wakes up. Like two and once, <laughs> once really you know, this is, so this is unprecedented. This has never happened in these books before. Yeah. And I mean, I knew that she wasn't dead is why I knew that I guess Elizabeth must be dreaming. It's the only it's the only explanation. But then certain things start to happen. I even realized it now that I'm reading back that some of the details like you were saying with Todd and his Camaro and I which Todd doesn't drive a Camaro. Todd drives a Datsun famously. Mm. Huh? Well, that should have been a tip off right there. <laughs> but um, so he was driving a black Camaro. Anyway, um, so, of course, Todd doesn't live in Sweetvale anymore, so maybe it was a rental car. Whatever. <laughs> the point is that it starts slipping some things in, like um, her, she looks, she's supposed to go to some kind of party at her, at Enid's house where they are mourning um, Jessica's loss or whatever, and she looks down and she's already dressed in fancy clothes. Yes. And the fancy clothes are made out of the silver material from yes. Jessica's ski suit. Yeah. And then a few pages later, Enid is wearing Jessica's ski suit. And, like, the, the way that the book skips around, it's, like, it's just, it's it feels like, I felt like I was dreaming when I read this passage. I was, like, I need to pinch myself. Like, is this really happening? But, like, reading it was such a mindfuck. Yeah. And then I had my, oh, my oh God, God moment, which is the moment, inevitably, when I'm reading this book and... I say aloud, oh my god. <laughs> okay. And it was Elizabeth, after feeling so guilty for being responsible for Jessica's death, lies down to take a nap. When she wakes up from the nap, she's hearing of someone calling her, and she looks up and... Uh, 
Thank God you're here, a familiar voice said. Jeffrey's been driving for hours. Those roads are like ice up on the mountains, Liz, she added. You'd better forgive me now, after we put so much effort into coming back tonight to see how you are. Jessica? Elizabeth whispered, staring. Who'd you expect, the tooth fairy or something? Jessica laughed. Jessica! Elizabeth screamed. The next minute, she was racing down the last few steps, throwing her arms around her sister. You're alive, she shouted, dancing around with her. Jess, I've just been dreaming. You didn't crash after all. And then Jessica says, Hey, Jessica said, laughing. Kara and Stephen had just come into the hallway and were watching the scene with obvious interest. It looks like she isn't mad at me anymore, Jessica called to them. How do you think I managed that so easily? <laughs> so, I mean, the oh my god moment could have been any point when the dream happened, but just like the coming out of the dream and Jessica is there and Elizabeth there. is yeah. like... It's yeah. not like she just woke up from the dream and was like, oh, God, that was a really horrific nightmare. It was like she woke up with the dream from the dream with Jessica actually there. So that was, yeah. Yeah. And it was viv- It was so vivid that she really thought it was real. She, like, cries telling about it later. Yeah. Because it was so real and to I her. I think most happened. people could relate to that. And actually, a little bit later when they're all, they, they're all famished and they go down and make sandwiches and they've got brownies and chips and stuff, they're all hanging out in the living room. And Steven's talking about how he's taking this um, psychology class at college about dreams. And he's like, sounds like this was a classic mm-hmm. guilt dream or whatever. But, like, we can definitely all, I think, relate to these really insane, vivid dreams that happen, have happened in our lives around, centered around yeah. something that's really big. Well, it's interesting you should mention that because, um, you know, we're recording in mid-July. So, I mean, it's been a few months now of that we've had to get used to this whole, um, like, coronavirus lockdown thing. I guess I should say, for future posterity, I'm talking about July 2020. Um, but, um, <laughs> oh, hopefully not there July were a lot 2021, of, but... Right, let's, we'll let's not. Oh. Let's not entertain the thought. So, but toward the beginning of this, there were a lot of, uh, some stories going around, uh, news stories about dreams that people were having. Yeah. And the way that this new weird circumstance was in kind of infiltrating our... Uh, the reports of, of what people were dreaming. Oh, absolutely. My dreams are on high. Like, I I can't remember another period of my life where I've had so many dreams. Like, it's just, you know, yeah. processing all this uncertainty and fear and just all these emotions that are that are happening. And, um, absolutely. You know? Yeah. So that part isn't so... I, I kind of... I don't know. I don't know how to feel about this dream sequence in this book. Because on the one hand, it seems like... <laughs> such it seems so egregious but then and it's also like why didn't you just go ahead and do it's a wonderful life if you're gonna make it be magic you know right but and and of course I'm pissed off that Jessica gets forgiven so easily yeah because she did a lot of wrong things but it's like Elizabeth doesn't care anymore but but on the other hand I guess at the end of the day you know your family is important like yeah, she, I feel like the dream kind of maybe snapped her out of the funk she was in a little bit and just kind of put shifted things into perspective. Not that she didn't have a right to be upset with some of Jessica's behaviors and whatever, but, like, just she woke up and here's her boyfriend and here's her brother and her sister. And, you know, like, I think I think it just kind of made her realize, okay, I've got – things are okay. Things are okay. And – and, right. Will, you didn't even mention, though, in the dream sequence, what I thought would be hilarious for you is the Todd and Jeffrey showdown. 
Oh yeah. They get into this big, huge. They're they're gonna go out and fight in the streets, and Elizabeth's gonna watch one of them kill the other. Yeah. And, Jeffrey's and... like, let's go outside and settle this like men, you know. So yeah, and Elizabeth is so upset about that. There's yeah. also the part where they have repainted Jessica's room so that it's not the it's not the Hershey bar anymore. Yes, and the walls which are I kind light. of had forgotten about that actually. Um, and just re- uh, yeah. Rethinking about that, thinking about chocolate brown for a wall color was just, <laughs> I don't really understand. I, I guess I kind of, I noted that because I thought that didn't really seem very Jessica to me. It doesn't like, seem very Jessica. I agree. I would think hot pink. If you're going to go yeah. crazy, bold, different color, I would think like hot pink or something, you know, but or bright purple or I don't know, but like a Hershey brown, gross. Like, I don't know. That yeah. didn't seem... I agree. I think that's the weirdest thing about it is that it doesn't, it's not that the walls are brown. It's that it doesn't seem like something Jessica would choose. Yeah. But, yeah. but, you know, she chose it once upon a time and now that's the color the walls are and the Hershey bar is funny to say. And it would be so sad, wouldn't it, if the room had white walls and Jessica weren't Jessica. I think it's a symbolism yes. there. So I just want to point out yet again that the climax of this book, Winter Carnival, does not take place. At the Winter Carnival. <laughs> We're just back at the Wakefield's yeah. house. No. I mean, they end up going back for yeah. the very last chapter. They, they do, go, do back. go back in the morning. They all pack into the car, and Todd comes with them. So there's... Yeah, because Todd... Reconciliation. Todd is, yeah. Well, they Todd was going to drive yet, up the next but. day. Oh, and Jeffrey, like, yeah, Jeffrey, they, yeah, Todd and Jeffrey haven't even met, and Jeffrey is instantly so nice about it, and is like, you know what, let's invite Todd to drive up there with us, I'll get to know him. Um, and then there are all these, like, Winter Olympics, like, all these events that are planned for the a thing up there, which this seems like um, as good a time as any, actually, to transition briefly into the part of the podcast where we talk about boys. Yes. Indulge me. Um, so there are all these winter sports happening, and Jeffrey and Todd are getting along so well that they team up, and they're on the red team together in this like ski relay, and they, they're everybody's excitedly watching the ski relay. It's the final event of the winter sports that these teenagers have somehow planned for their, uh, for their school trip. Jeffrey seemed to be edging closer to Bill Chase, who was Aaron's teammate. Then Todd seemed to be edging closer to Aaron. Bill was still in the lead behind the lodge, but he seemed to be falling back. Then, just past the lodge, Jeffrey was in the lead, heading straight for the red tape. The crowd went wild when Jeffrey sailed through, the tape breaking against his chest. Jeffrey and Todd are the winners, Bruce cried, and Elizabeth ran forward to hug Jeffrey, beside herself with joy. He and Todd patted each other on the back. And Elizabeth knew then that everything was fine between them. You're a terrific skier, Jeffrey, Todd said appreciatively, shaking his hand. You should come out to Vermont and teach me a few tricks. You aren't half bad yourself, Jeffrey grinned, and I'll take you up on the first part of that anyway. He looked at Todd with genuine warmth. Nice being your partner, he said gruffly, slapping Todd on the back once more. Elizabeth smiled as she watched them ski off together. Enid, I've started a wonderful friendship. You think either of them will remember to ask me to dance tonight? I think, Enid said, her green eyes twinkling, that if you play your cards right and wear your special new dress, 
one or the other of them just might remember. And boy, I just wish that Sweet Valley High of the 1980s were a world where, you know, we could imagine a future book where, uh, you know, Elizabeth is jealous of Jeffrey because she thinks there's something going on between <laughs> Jeffrey and Todd. Because I think, I mean, right? the biggest twist of all in this book is that now I ship Jeffrey and Todd. Yeah, yeah. You're like, oh. They're going to hang out in Vermont yeah. together, you know? <laughs> Both athletic. Genuine and, warmth. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. great. It's great. Yeah, they love each other. I mean, they have a lot in common. They're both the kind of guys that Elizabeth <laughs> goes for. So, anyway, that's one boy thing. Did you have any boys you pointed out? I've got one more. Um, Other than the, the weirdo date guy with his weird outfit that Jessica, like, very, <laughs> yeah. like, that was weird, but... Um, so I did have one, like, so obviously Jessica's crushing on this, um, guy that's her opponent on the David Campbell. David Campbell. And so one quote that I noted that just, I know it's been talked about on the podcast before, like just sometimes the twins saying creepy, slightly sexual things about their dad and they're at dinner and she's like, oh, daddy, he's got these gorgeous brown eyes that get little wrinkles kind of like yours daddy and, he, and Ned Wakefield kind of laughs it off and he's like oh well what are you saying I've got wrinkles and she's like oh he's just gorgeous I'm so in love with him you know and I was like ah oh, gross creepy <laughs> <Yeah>. weird <laughs> yes it's like she's basically saying he's almost as handsome as you daddy yeah yeah yep. <laughs> Yep, and I was Basically. like, yep, I know this has been discussed before, but here's another example. <laughs> Every time so. it comes up, it's just another, it's another uh, notch in our yeah. podcast bedpost. So, um, yeah, those are the boys. That's David. And um, Jessica has some crazy thoughts about how much, how, like, the most romantic thing David could do would be to let her win the trivia contest, which really made my blood boil. And I was like, why do I do this podcast again? Like, why am I reading these books? I was so keyed up. Because I think I'm also, like, energetically just, I don't know, again, I don't know about you and gladiators, maybe you're feeling this way too, but I just, you know, it's like my emotions are much more, I don't know, all over the place. Like, I just feel, I don't feel very like as in control of them as I normally would be. And reading this book really got me stressed out. It really got my heart racing. I was angry. I was annoyed. I was annoyed at Jessica. I was annoyed at Elizabeth. I was upset that they were having these ultimatums and having all these misconnections. That was more yesterday. Today was a little bit better because the second half of the book is always is always more fun. (laughs) I read the first half yesterday and the second half today. It was a real race to the end. And, and, and like you said, there was like two chapters practically of this dream sequence. Yeah, it really, they, they didn't drag that on. So one note that I had about this whole sequence, and it was something I'd actually noted in the scene uh, that I just referenced where Jessica's kind of like talking about, you know, oh, David's as cute as you, daddy. It was in this dinner scene where Mr. and Mrs. Wakefield kind of shut down the twins. Like Elizabeth is starting to kind of, express some uh, resentment or, you know, being upset about Jessica trying to race off and do something and and leave her with the chores, leave her with the dishes or whatever. And they're Mm -hmm. like, oh, they kind of just shut down. Maybe that wasn't exactly it, but they kind of shut down an argument that's starting to brew with Elizabeth expressing her feelings. And I kind of thought, huh, that was one thing with just kind of thinking about the family dynamics. But in this dream sequence... I thought this 
this was kind of poignant. So in the dream sequence, you know, Jessica has died. And her parents are, you know, they're back at the house and they put Elizabeth on medication and they're trying to kind of, they're back home and everybody's trying to process everything. She, she like walks into the room and she realizes because she and Jessica were twins that every time they see her, they're going to think of Jessica. It's just going to be inevitable because they look alike and there's nothing she can do about it. And she says, they'll never really be able to look at me again without thinking of her. You all think it's my fault, she cried. You all think I killed her. Her cry was greeted by silence. Her father turned and stared at her, and Elizabeth felt herself go cold all over. She knew she would never forget the accusing look in his eyes. And then a little bit further down in the page, Mrs. Wakefield's trying to kind of calm Elizabeth down because she made this realization she's freaking out. And Mrs. Wakefield says, Ned, she needs to rest, like, kind of calm down. Mr. Wakefield didn't answer. He just kept staring dully at Elizabeth, a look of such utter grief and misery on his face that Elizabeth could barely stand his gaze. I kind of put that together with this scene, the dinner scene, where he kind of made some comments like, Elizabeth, calm down. Like, the dinner table's not the place to talk about this. Like, in this dream, was she processing the fact that maybe Jessica's her dad's favorite? That's so interesting. Like, I... I thought that this I, this whole thing with Ned Wakefield stood out to me because it was one of the first things that happens in the in the dream sequence that made me say like okay my my suspicion that this is a dream is true because it's not like Ned to be sitting there glowering and the whole thing feels very dreamlike the way that in everything you just read he's staring he's not talking it's scary it seems like a nightmare but I hadn't thought about that I think I think that's interesting um maybe I wonder how she would feel about that like I think Elizabeth probably has some real resentment towards her parents for letting Jessica get away with things that Elizabeth can't get away with. Yeah, exactly. And I could see that for a 16-year-old, that could read to you as favoritism. Yeah. It's such an interesting point, though, too, because Jessica has also clearly had episodes of of the book where she has flat out said that her parents prefer Elizabeth. She feels the same way. And this this did kind of give you a different perspective because they seem to be more, you know, like, oh, putting up with Jessica's behavior and thinking, oh, she's funny, she's this, and Elizabeth. But this whole book was more from Elizabeth's point of view, obviously, right? And some books are more from Jessica's, like, Runaway, like you referenced, where it's like, everybody loves Elizabeth, nobody loves me. So, but I just kind of thought, like, that was interesting reading through that because I kind of had sussed out that it was a dream sequence and just kind of putting that together with the the dinner thing just made me kind of think, I wonder if Elizabeth just kind of processed in this dream that... It's so much fun to think about the things that come up in the dream that are, like, what do they symbolize? Right. And one of the things that Jessica tells Elizabeth at the end of the book when Elizabeth explains her dream is she's like, Elizabeth, Dr. Davis, like, he moved to Arizona. Like, he was our pediatrician when we were kids. And that stood out to me today when I was rereading this passage on the podcast just a few minutes ago because I realized that the book even describes Dr. Davis as looking younger than Elizabeth had remembered. Yeah. Well, because that was, she was remembering, you know, when she was a little kid. When yeah. they needed a pediatrician. <laughs> right, right. Um, so I think that if you read closely, you could probably come up with reasons for, like, almost everything that happens. Um, Todd being there just when 
you know, she needed him. Uh, Jeffrey's jealousy coming out as this fight. Uh, the instead of having a funeral to remember Jessica, the friends had planned a time just to like talk about how Stephen and Elizabeth were doing. I don't know what that means, but I think that's interesting to think about. So we didn't really close off the book, but it ends with the, there's a dance, a beautiful dance with beautiful lots of dance. decorations and oh, and her dress. I just I, I I made a note of the dress because I was like, oh, this is so beautifully '80s. I just I loved it so much. She had found the dress weeks before and couldn't decide whether to buy it at first. It was silver silk with slightly puffy sleeves ending at the elbow, a round neck, and a soft full skirt. The fabric shimmered like ice. With a small strand of pearls around her neck and tiny silver and pearl earrings, Elizabeth felt wonderfully glamorous. And Jeffrey's expression told her the outfit was perfect. But I was just, you know, I was just cracking up thinking about like all your 80s teen movies or whatever where they've got the puffy like yeah. sleeves and it's the like this bright silver fabric. And I mean, it's just, it was very sweet, you know, because obviously it was very classy more on the classy glamorous side she um, even tells but, Enid she's like don't worry it's nothing too risque like no, when she tells like, such a, like a sweet dress. little sweetheart neck like a little round neck yeah <laughs> you know it's just but Aww. yeah and she buys it because she thought it looked like something Jessica would buy no, it doesn't right. sound like that when you describe it. Doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I noted that too, and I was like, when she when it was described, I thought, well, maybe the silver part. But <laughs> yeah. Well, you had mentioned that you had some thoughts about sisters. Yes. So, I mean, obviously, the story and a lot of the books are, but this one in particular was very much about the dynamics of the relationship between the twins. And especially from Elizabeth's point of view and how frustrating it was most of the time for her. And, you know, in the, in the bus ride that she takes solo back from the mountain when she's going back to Sweet Valley and the bus driver tells me, she's kind of, you know, commiserating with him and telling him, he said, you look sad. And she says, well, this is what's going on. My sister, I can't stand her. And he's like, well, sisters can be hard sometimes, but you know, blood is thicker than water, that kind of whole message. And, it really struck me. So I grew up, I'm the oldest and I have two brothers. And there is a funny story in my family that when my younger brother was born, I was seven years old. I was like in second grade, but he was born in the summer. And my teacher the year before knew how much I was looking forward to the new baby and my new sibling. So she called my, my home back in the eighties. She called to, to congratulate and the newspaper in the birth announcements, because I guess there were birth announcements in newspapers back then, but she'd seen it in the newspaper. So she called my family to, th you know, to congratulate us and to, to talk to me and say, oh, you've got your new baby sister, because the Albuquerque, where we lived, Albuquerque Journal reported that my mom had given birth to a little girl. And when I talked to her on the phone, I said, no. <laughs> the newspaper made a mistake and so did my mom 
which my mom loves to remind, to remind me of this. I was really mad because back then I really wanted a little sister, but I was seven years old. Then I had this little, you know, second brother and, you know, he was just absolutely darling and adorable and we had a wonderful relationship. And from that point on, honestly, that's the only time I can kind of recall maybe wanting a sister. And from that point on, I always felt very grateful that I didn't have a sister and that I had brothers and, and, to this day, I have very close relationships with my brothers. And I think, you know, growing up and even on through, you know, now through adult age, anybody that I've been, you know, all my friends that I've been close with have either been only children or have had brothers like me. And the few that had sisters, it was always a very contentious, negative relationship. And especially when I was younger, I would say like middle school or high school, like close friends back then that any of them that had sisters, it was just awful. And of course, this is a time period we're talking about with these books, right? And so maybe it gets better. I'm sure it does. But again, going into kind of more adult age, I don't have a personal example in my life. Um, My mom's an only child, you know, like I don't have an example of, um, a really, really strong, positive sister relationship. And I've always thought that was a little odd because I know they exist. But these books, like, obviously kind of, you know, it's two-sided, right? They, they, they love each other, but they hate each other. And, you know, they kind of really flesh that out. And so I don't know. I was really just kind of thinking on that as I was reading this book. Yeah, I, I was trying to think, too, about, I mean, I'm an only child, so... I can remember as a kid wishing that I had a sibling. I realized, as long as we're talking about, like, siblings and childhood things, I realized during the summer I made a connection that I I guess I have a really long-standing fascination with the concept of twins, um, and identical Mm. twins in particular, because one of the movies that I watched, like, on repeat as a girl, little girl, for some reason, was the original Haley Mills Parent, Parent Trap. That's loved a good one. That movie. And I never really made the connection between my fascination with that movie and my interest in Sweet Valley. <laughs> and nice. Like identical twins as a concept and, and being so different. But I guess I, I maybe that particular dynamic, which a twin dynamic is even different than you know, sisters in general. To me, the overarching theme of this book, and I, and I think it's it's um, flared up, obviously, in a lot of other books, too, as you talk about how the twins are supposed to be very different. But to me, the theme of this book was that your character is fixed. And so I there was the exact same quote two times in this book. Not, I mean... Um, quote, but it was, you know, it wasn't anyone speaking. It was Elizabeth in her head. It was on page two at the very beginning. It was on page 206 at the very end. And it was, Jessica was Jessica, and that's all there was to it. Period. Like, that is who she is. Done. And right at the very beginning, too, like, Elizabeth's kind of really going into her head about, like, well, this is me. I'm loyal. I'm steady. I'm, I'm hardworking. These aren't, you know, very exciting things about me, but it is who I am. And and I, I felt throughout this that Elizabeth was just very much in her head and was experiencing this 
funk, which she kept calling, you know, midwinter blues or whatever. Um, she was in this funk about where, you know, what her personality was and comparing it with Jessica's and her frustration with Jessica's obviously very irresponsible, very irritating behavior sometimes, but still her admiration of her twin, of her sister for qualities that she wished she had. So it was, I I don't know. It was just kind of very much like, I felt like this, this book was kind of emphasizing that this is, you have a character. This is who people expect you to be parents, friends, etc. boyfriends, even like they expect this from Elizabeth. They expect this from Jessica. This is who you are. And I thought is like, this, these kids are 16. Like, what is That's this teaching the younger thing. girls? Like, what is this message teaching them? That was totally what's going through my head just now as you were saying that is that, I mean, I think that, first of all, the idea that people can't change is something you hear on TV and stuff. And so in real life, too, people don't change. But I think that that is a very damaging belief um, because it is possible. It's just that it's difficult. That's my perspective. But also, the, that's talking about things after decades of doing things a certain way, seeing things a certain way. Yeah, when you're 16 years old, I mean, this is the very age where a lot of people, you know, kids experiment with trying to, like, be different and act different. It's On the one hand, you know, Jessica is saying Jessica is Jessica, or, like, Elizabeth being proud of the things about her that she's interested in. Like, you could read that, and, and maybe should, as being proud of who you are, and that's wonderful. But it is strange to think that, like, if she, like, if she didn't want to have things that were different, that she couldn't be different. Like, like maybe you can't make yourself more impulsive with a flip of a switch, but like you could try doing spontaneous things from time to time. Like, yes. After now that we've talked so much about Elizabeth and Jessica, um, I think that it's important for you to tell me if you are a Jessica or an Elizabeth. That's awesome timing because. <laughs> Thinking through this whole thing that really kind of stood out to me. Um, so one thing that really, like, I related to and thought, oh, my gosh, I'm, I can be and used to be especially so much of Elizabeth is that tendency that she had, especially earlier on in the book in, like, the first chapter, when she's kind of struggling. She's like, I just must have the midwinter blues, and I don't know why I've been so down. And she's really reproaching herself for being in this little funk and she's trying to, like, say, oh, I've got it so good. You know, I've got, I've got this boyfriend that's great, and I've got, you know, a great family, and I live in a beautiful place, and I have a lovely home. And she's kind of just trying to build herself back up. And she keeps getting annoyed as the book goes on with things that are happening, but she consistently just tries to, like, chin up Elizabeth, like, don't be, don't be like this, and kind of beat herself up for being annoyed or upset or mad or anything that's kind of more of a can what can be construed as a negative emotion and I am so guilty of that and I have struggled with that for a very long time like anytime I'm feeling a little down even if it's just PMS or whatever you know I'm just kind of like don't be in a funk don't be you know you've got things so well and I'm always like trying to cheerlead myself up there and not let myself really process and just feel whatever emotion even if it's one of the more negative emotions that I'm feeling. Um, So I very much thought, oh, God, that's such an Elizabeth thing for me. But this whole, like, character is fixed thing really stuck out to me because that is something I really realized about myself. 
and I've tried to really adjust and, you know, change. And I've tried to be more spontaneous in my life. As I've gotten older, I've tried to be a little bit less like things, you know, you can't also just being the, you know, again, maybe just being the oldest too, just like, you've got to take care of your your parents and your family. You've got to do the X, Y, Z. You've got to get your chores done and kind of growing up with this uber sense of responsibility in my career and professionally, academically, in my family, and just kind of trying as I got older to shed some of that and be a little more freewheeling. And I started my own business and I traveled a lot and just kind of tried to let go of some of that. So I honestly feel like I started out more as an Elizabeth and I've morphed a little bit more into Jessica. I think I'm a hybrid still, but like it's, I thought, I knew you were going to ask this and this whole topic of like character is fixed made that kind of me shed some light on it, I guess. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, I think that being part Elizabeth and part Jessica is really probably the best way to be. I mean, even I, who like when I identify with Elizabeth, sometimes it's in the way of yeah, obviously. And sometimes it's in a sense of like, oh, God, I wish I were not like that. Like, I wish I didn't yeah. have um, the trait of feeling like even though someone else deserves to take the punishment for this, like, I feel and nobody's asking me to do them this favor. I feel like it's the right thing to do. And so I have no choice but to do it. Something like that. I mean, I can't yeah. think of a specific example, but that happened in this book where it's like I'm mad at Elizabeth and I'm also sort of mad at myself for being like Elizabeth in that way. Yes. Um, so I guess I could try to change that. Although I wouldn't want to go full Jessica, which would be the way of just like not even giving a shit. Right. You know? Right. You still have to have, cons- you know, consideration for people in your lives. And I think that comes, hopefully that comes from some people with age too and getting out of your teenage years. been so wonderful getting to just like have this chat with you for for this so long yeah this is fantastic i i love your podcast i love like all this stuff that (laughs) i remember reading back in the day yes i'm the one that had the board game yes uh, we're gonna play that game someday i have it too i have my own copy actually so we can play someday um this book was challenging and i'm glad that you were or you rose to the challenge um, I've never read another one like it, although in some ways it's a lot like a lot of the books, but just all in one package is, is, is like, there are many books that this one is similar to. It's similar to Special Christmas. It's similar to Runaway. It's similar to, uh, I don't know, the, not Dear Sister, but the one before Dear Sister, where, ta- with the motor- motorcycle crash. Um, on, No. <laughs> so this, this podcast is going to be for a little while you guys sorry um i have the book right in front of me i can tell you which was number six number six is a book called dangerous love Ooh. but um yeah it's a little bit like a bunch of different books but it is it's all its own thing and the first one ever to have this uh this long drawn out dream sequence gladiators a bit of business thank you so much for holding on uh with me through this hiatus i mean we have a hiatus between every season this one i don't know if it's been longer or it's just the time has no meaning 
I don't know, man, but like, uh, I want you to know that the podcast will be back. And in fact, I can tell you specifically when it will be back. Um, Sweet Valley Diary season five will start in just under a month on August 13th. We're going to stay, stay on Thursdays. And until then, I hope you enjoy, uh, this particular episode. Uh, if you don't follow Sweet Valley Diaries on Instagram, you should do that. It's fun. At some point this year, I signed up for some kind of, like, podcast chart alert. And every once in a while, I get alert an alert that, like, I was in the top 200 books podcasts in the New Zealand charts or something like that. So uh, people have been listening to the podcast in Malaysia. Thank you for people all over the world. And um, thank you so much for listening to Sweet Valley Diaries. And Erica, thank you for being here. Of course. Thank you for inviting me. This was a, a pleasure of a book to read. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I'm glad you feel that way. All right, August 13th, everybody. I'll see you then. Bye. I'm going to stop. So that made me Miss America? Sorry, I want to make sure that my microphone is okay. I think it is. Um...